Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, October 27th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, the mayor brings us details on the message she presented earlier this week to the Calgary Chamber during her annual fireside chat. Next, we head stateside for the latest on the ongoing manhunt for the shooter behind the deadly mass shooting in Lewiston, Maine earlier this week. We get the details from Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. And finally... Do you like to be scared? Are you a fan of scary movies? We catch up with Jim Davies, professor of cognitive science at Carleton University, to discuss the psychology behind why we actually like to be scared. It's music from The Exorcist. And if you've not seen that one, it's on your watch list this weekend for sure. From what I understand, it happens to be the favorite scary movie of... Mayor Jyoti Gondek, who will talk a little Halloween with the mayor in a second. But first, it is our weekly chat uh, with Mayor Gondek. Good morning to you, Mayor. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Now, I want to touch on something. A little birdie told us yesterday, and that little birdie might have been Deborah Yedlin, CEO and president of the Calgary <laughs> Chamber, that uh, a little lunch happened yesterday. Calgary Chamber hosting your yearly fireside chat. Uh, what was your message uh, to the chamber, Madam Mayor? You know, it was a message about how you can actually find hope in positions of vulnerability. And I talked a little bit about how incredibly vulnerable and exposed Calgary was when our downtown core started to hollow out when we saw major energy companies leaving. Um, I talked about how we've rebounded by having a strong downtown revitalization strategy. The fact that we're going to be putting 2,300 uh, homes in downtown that previously didn't exist. We're taking up more than 2 million square feet that used to be office space and converting it into residential. And there's a lot of market confidence in what we're doing. Talked a little bit about what we're doing around um, energy efficiency and how we are leaders globally in terms of energy transformation. And I talked about how our housing strategy is actually addressing some pretty deeply rooted concerns that people have and how we're trying very hard to work with the provincial and federal governments to get our fair share of the funding that we need for proper infrastructure here. We do live in a wonderful city for sure. You know, when you're talking about things like this to the chamber or just to Calgarians as a whole, what, what do you think as a mayor and as a, just a Calgarian yourself, like what makes this city such a great place for investment and how do we keep attracting those investors? It's a really good topic. Um, Sue, I think it's important to recognize how we have welcomed a lot of people over the years and we continue to. And people don't just come here and land and stay for a little while and then take off. It's not a landing point. It's actually where they stay. And they stay because they feel a sense of welcoming. They feel inclusivity. They feel like they can make a life here and that they have a community who cares for them. And that's due to Calgarians actually working hard at building sense of place in their neighborhoods it's a matter of businesses being open to hiring people with different skill sets. It's just the attitude and the practice of being a city where anyone can be successful. Madam Mayor, uh, the conversation surrounding the tax breakdown between residential and uh, Calgary businesses has been in the conversation, it seems like, the past handful of years. It was in uh, Tony King's newscast this morning. Uh, your thoughts and your stance on uh, where we are and where we should be. Yeah, you know what, this is a, it's an issue that is complex and it's one that's not popular. So for many, many years, what we've been doing is um, expecting non-residential properties or businesses, if you will, to pay more than their share 
of uh, the budget responsibility. So if I can break it down, approximately 80% of the assessed property tax revenue that we receive as a city comes from residential properties. And only about 20% comes from non-residential or business. And yet those non-residential properties were contributing to 55% of the budget responsibility. So we have an imbalance that we've tried to fix over time. It's more like 48% of that responsibility is now falling to that 20% revenue stream. But when I give you those numbers, it's pretty stark that we had an over expectation of businesses to pay into the budget that we required. In other places, it's not like that. So if you look at Edmonton, I think it's more like about 43 or 44% of the burden is on non-residential. If you look at a place like uh, Vancouver, I think it's about 43%. Winnipeg, I think is only about 30%. So we've got to fix that imbalance. And unfortunately, that means residential properties will take on a greater share of the budget burden. But the good news is we have greater growth in residential properties. So the responsibility is spread over more properties. And on a related note, Mayor, just got a text in from Sean uh, asking about a Rick Bell article that, that talked about the City of Calgary's rainy day fund that by the end of the year, he says, will apparently set at $1 billion. And this texter asking, why then don't we take that money in and use it to help with property taxes, for example? We are absolutely using any of the funds that we have that um, are a result of investment income, Uh, the fiscal stability reserve. We are looking at every option that we have to use existing dollars within uh, the city's accounts to pay for operations, to pay for capital. It's anything that's over and above that where we have to look to taxpayers. But I will say this, the mill rate, which is the actual percentage rate of what you're paying, we are not expecting that that's going to go up this year. And that's been... Again, it's a very complex model, and I think the struggle for Calgarians and actually anyone who lives in any city is the fact that it doesn't matter to you what the assessed value of your home is unless you're going to buy a home or you're going to sell it. It's not like your income. You don't see it right away. And so when you pay income tax, you understand that if you get a raise, you're going to pay a little bit more. But when the value of your property goes up, it's the same thing. You have to pay a little bit more because the assessed value went up. But because people don't trade in that commodity, it's a really hard pill to swallow about why did my property taxes go up Mm -hmm. if you're telling me that the tax rate stayed the same. It's because the value of your home went up. Interesting. Uh, Let's switch gears. And uh, this is interesting to me because our Glenbow Museum, we love it. It's been a while. I know that they're uh, sprucing up the joint for us. And uh, it's been announced that Calgary's landed internationally known designer Maya Lin to design the rooftop terrace of the Glenbow. Why is this a big deal for the city mayor? Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, Maya Lin is just an amazing human being. She's kind. She's compassionate. The vision she has to turn spaces into something that people can interact with um, is unbeatable. She's not actually done anything in Canada. So we are the first place that she is coming to. And the rooftop terrace that she has proposed for the Glenbow is wonderful. She talks about petals, right, like flower petals and how when she looked at the design of the building, that's what she saw, that's what it invoked in her. And so when she designed the upper level, it is with a view to something so beautiful and delicate and how would people interact with it. And it's got a feature called the Oculus, 
which, you know, if you, if you want to call it what it is, it's a skylight. But it's round, and the way that she has designed it to go through the building to make sure that every floor is lit up is just something that everyone is going to want to see and take in when it's done. Sounds spectacular. Lucky us for sure. Uh, let's talk, just before we let you go, last weekend before Halloween, doing any uh, Halloween partying or you sit down and watch a movie? Do you like to be scared? What's your deal? Well, y'all terrified me when you played The Exorcist song. Um, that is absolutely my favorite movie. It scares me every time I watch it, and I will be taking it in this weekend. Okay. That is my Halloween activity. Just to clarify, not just your favorite scary or Halloween-type movie, that's your favorite movie of all time? It, it is. It is. The, wow. It's unbelievable. It is creepy and uh, well-produced, well-written. It's just something. We need to delve into your psyche a little more someday. <laughs> we did. We've learned a little bit. Enjoy your scary movies. Have a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, you too. Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Eighteen people are dead following the latest mass shooting in the United States. Joining us to discuss this and all other news making headlines south of the border is Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington Bureau Correspondent. Good morning to you, Reggie. Good morning. Uh, let's let's break this down here because I know that we've, we've got the numbers. It's a very grim situation, uh, but the suspect, a gentleman by the name of Robert Card, still on the loose. What do we know about the manhunt uh, as of this morning, Reggie? Well, the manhunt continues, and it continues in all directions here, Andy. Uh, going outside of the state of Maine, there are concerns that the suspect could have moved into Massachusetts, and we know that there were warnings sent to uh, to, to border guards uh, at the Canada border uh, because there's fear that he could have moved northward. The, the broader fear here is, um, is the suspect's background here. He is uh, an Army reservist. He is a trained, uh, fire, trained in firearms, and because of that, um, police and investigators feel that this makes the situation far more dangerous. It is so rare that we see these mass shooting incidents in the United States where a suspect isn't taken down or found dead um, in a short kind of while after the incident took place. Now approaching so many hours afterwards, there is growing concern now for not just the local community, but for the broader communities as well. And Reggie, we know a little bit more now about Robert Card, about the fact that he, he may have left a note behind and that maybe he he had a boat, which is why they're concerned he could get to Canada. Well, and, and it also explains why the Coast Guard is now actively investigating in this uh, search. Again, it is something that we rarely see when we are dealing with mass shooting incidents here. But given the fact that, that there could be um, a water escape that allows him to move anywhere east, that allows him to move in any direction that's outside of land here. So to have this as a now state level and, and broadening federal level investigation uh, and search, uh, it goes to speak to, to how, how dangerous um, officials really do believe this situation is because if they're saying he is armed and dangerous and he is an army reservist and he knows how to use firearms, um, the question is how, how well does he know then to survive if he is not in kind of, you know, the quarters that he would normally be in outside of this kind of scenario. Now, it's interesting. We do know about his military background, but what else do we know about Robert Card? Well, we know that, uh, that there was a recent um, relationship Breakup. We also know that mental health uh, is factoring into this, knowing that he had been hospitalized for it. And that speaks to the broader issue here uh, of gun uh, and legislation in the United States. Look, we've heard from state senators 
uh, in Maine, saying that this is one of the safest states in the United States. But at the same time, Maine also has some of the weakest gun control, gun safety um, laws on the books, and that includes um, not having red flag laws that, that allow for the courts to take a gun away from somebody who presents a harm to themselves or others. And with mental health being a factor here, the conversation is broadening to what can be done to ensure that situations like this can be stopped before they start. Um, but, you know, this becomes the question of, of politics versus thoughts and prayers. Reggie, I was shocked to see the number that they said this main mass shooting, the number of mass shootings yeah. this one marks in America this year. 500 uh, uh, and, and 66, I believe, 556, regardless of that number, it is more than 550. And I think the interesting way to look at this, Sue, is in, in 2018, uh, there was talk about how the number of mass shootings in the United States was roughly 0.9 per day. <sighs> In the five years since then, it is now roughly 1.88 mass shootings per day in the United States. 300 days in and more than 550 mass shootings where at least four people or more were shot. Incredible. It is uh, Obviously, we are on this side of the border. We are following the news from reporters like yourself and Jackson Prosco uh, down on location, Reggie. Uh, but... Is this shooting different? Is this shooting the one that's going to change things? What are you hearing, or is this just another mass shooting? However, flip that sounds. Well, I mean, look, uh, you know, is this going to be the one that changes things? People thought that Uvalde was mm -hmm. going to be the one that changed things. This is now um, uh, approaching the numbers that we saw in Uvalde. And yes, President Biden passed legislation to to try and strengthen gun laws in the country, but it didn't do anything. We have seen a bit of a political flip. There is a uh, more conservative Democratic uh, congressman in Maine who just yesterday flipped his, his opinions on weapons, uh, uh, assault weapons bans. So the conversation could be turning. At the same time, we now have a new Speaker of the House, very conservative, who is very against changing any gun laws in this country. So you now are going to have two different ideologies on guns kind of from the White House and the House now bumping into each other. It's just it's so shocking every time we talk about this. Uh, let's flip topics and talk about uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, certainly more coming down and he may actually be on trial in Colorado coming up. Tell us about that one and, and how it might affect his 2024 bid. Yeah, so look, this is a trial to try and use the 14th Amendment of the Constitution to keep Donald Trump from running again. And essentially, it was created after the Civil War to suggest that anybody who incites an insurrection should be barred from holding office. It may be a tall order here for uh, lawyers in Colorado. It could keep Trump maybe off of the ballot in the state. But there are pushbacks here as to whether or not the state can deal with this because it may be considered a political matter. Donald Trump was impeached for it, but he wasn't convicted politically. He's in trial for this, but hasn't been convicted federally for anything to do with insurrection. So this is going to be a, a kind of legal moment in American political history. But whatever happens, it's likely going to wind up before the Supreme Court as well. So look, Colorado was trying to keep Trump from running. He's pushing back. A lot of his motions have been rejected. One hasn't. This is going to be one to watch of the number of court cases that Trump is facing currently and will face in the future. Reggie, it has been a topic over the past, uh, it seems like, handful of Fridays when we check on the headlines down south, the search for a new U.S. House of Representatives speaker. Uh, what can you tell us about Representative Mike Johnson, who has been chosen? 
Well, he's a freshman, uh, sort of. He's been around for four terms, elected when Donald Trump was elected in 2016. He leans very heavily to the right. He is very pro-Second Amendment and gun rights in America. He is very anti-LGBTQ rights. Uh, he is um, he is somebody who is a bit of a firebrand Republican, but without having that kind of bombast and language that we saw from somebody like Jim Jordan. The question here is, whatever policies he tries to bring forward, is it going to clash so heavily with Democrats and with the White House that the Republican Party finds themselves nearly unable to get work done again? Remember, one person was able to topple the speaker. They now need to try and change the rules to make sure that one person can't topple this speaker if somebody feels that they're not getting their way. Ultimately, this is somebody who has risen to the ranks very, very quickly. He is now second in line to the presidency. Far-right Republicans feel very happy about this. The white, uh, rather, the Biden re-election campaign put a message out saying this is essentially MAGA and Donald Trump now in control of the speakership. Reggie, thank you so much, as always, for breaking it down for us. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, too. Thanks, Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. With Halloween just around the corner, it's the perfect time. It's the weekend, after all. Perfect time for a scary movie. But why do we like to be scared? Joining us to talk about the science behind a good scare is Jim Davies, Professor of Cognitive Science at Carleton University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Nice. Happy Halloween. A happy Halloween almost to you, too. It's the weekend, which means people will be cuddling up and getting cozy in order to be scared this weekend, no doubt. What is it? What, what, there's actual science behind the, the philosophy of being scared? Well, it's pretty speculative science, but yeah, there's some science there. It's, it's, it's called the paradox of uh, a horror, where you know when you would, uh, watch fictional horror things, it's an unpleasant experience. So you know the mystery is why do people seek it out? Um, and the explanation that, that resonates most with me is that uh, we find dangerous-looking things important and hard to look away from. And if you think about, like, um, rubbernecking at a traffic accident or watching a fight uh, happen across the street from you, you can't take your eyes off it. Mm. There's something about it that makes you really want to pay attention. And I think this is, like, you know, rooted in a, uh, a desire to learn about the dangers of the world so you can avoid it in the future. So when we have a fictional account, um, it, we just can't look away. Right. And you even see people who even they cover their eyes. They'll like sometimes like peek through their fingers <laughs> because they, they, it just feels like important to watch. It, it's interesting to me, Professor, because, yes, that's for entertainment purposes. But fear, when we look at fear, the emotion, the feelings behind fear, can we learn from fear? And why is it important that we have fear within us? Uh, fear is fear serves an incredibly useful, um, you know, motivational uh, trait, right? So many, many animals have it. Uh, if they're in danger of predation or in danger of, um, you know, uh, another member of its species that is threatening you, like, a, you know, another uh, threatening male or something like that, um, the fear emotion helps uh, recruit all of our physical and mental resources into like a fight or flight kind of response. You know, in today's world, fear is a little less important. Uh, but, you know, most of the time when humans were, you know, evolving on the plains of Africa, uh, there was a lot to be afraid of. And so the people who didn't have as much fear uh, didn't survive so well. So here we are, <laughs> able to be scared. Yeah, fascinating. So, so why is it, though, that like I'm, there, there are some people who enjoy that, who go out of their way? They'll go to a haunted house, for example, the scarier the better. Or there are people who 
asking for a friend might cry because they get scared. Like, what's yeah. the difference between those two? Well, I don't know if we know that, like, we can just point to certain traits that make some people like horror more, more than others. But there are a couple of things we know what happens when you get scared. Your heart rate goes up, so it's kind of exciting. Uh, and afterward, when you know that everything's safe and it's all over, there sometimes can be this kind of a feeling of euphoria. I related a little bit to some, sometimes when people who get a lot of tattoos, they, they might find the tattoo process painful, but ultimately it releases endorphins and this kind of thing. So I think that like after being very excited, uh, there's like, a little bit of a high afterward. Um, so I think that, that the combination of this, like the fascination with dangerous things, feeling important, um, but also like sort of experience them in a somewhat safe environment um, allows a little bit of euphoria afterward. But we really don't know like what makes some people like horror more than others. But it's interesting. We get back to sticks and stones may break my bones type of a thing. If we're watching something on the screen, we're not going to be physically harmed. We're not in mm -hmm. physical danger. Same with a haunted house. Uh, walking through a haunted house that's been you know professionally made and you pay for your tickets to go through, you're not going to be physically harmed. But could we actually be injured emotionally? Could we have an issue if we are in these scary situations? Is there a downside? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're if you too scared, you can lose sleep over it. And, and we're watching, my wife and I are watching Fall of the House of Usher, and it was just a horrific thing we saw that kept my wife up. And that's not healthy, you know. <laughs> I remember seeing scary movies as a child that just frightened me for years, and, that, and that's a harm, too. Um, so the thing is, when you go into a situation of fictional horror, you don't really know how intense it's going to be. You know, we try to, you know, gauge it, and, you know, so Scooby-Doo might be really scary for a two-year-old or three-year-old, but not for a grown-up, you know. And, you know, there are some horror movies, they vary a lot in how scary they are. And you might go to a horror movie thinking, oh, I can handle horror movies. And then, you know, you watch Hereditary or something, and then you're you're beside yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Jim, can we, can someone literally be scared to death? Is that possible? I've never heard of that actually happening. Okay. So it's just a, a saying that we use because we feel <laughs> yeah. like we're going to die because we're so scared. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just an expression. I've never heard of anyone just, like, literally being so frightened that they, they die. I swear I've come close. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's been, there's been times <laughs> yeah. for me, too. Generally, it's when I get my taxes done. But um, I want to ask you this, uh, Jim, because uh, the things that, that are in our minds today are probably different than they were 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago. Does what scares us change? I, I guess what I'm saying is, are there scare fashions when you move through the different eras? Yeah, there are. Um, so things, some things just get um, popular. I mean, quicksand was a big thing in the 80s, right? <laughs> like all the movies yes. have quicksand. Yep. And, and um, they even find that um, the fluctuation of zombies versus uh, vampires um, fluctuates over the course of years. Uh, I think it relates to the economy somehow, but I can't remember. There was some study showing that it happens. Um, but certainly, yeah, there, there are some things that get uh, hot, just like any other fashion or uh, thing in the media, you know, suddenly robots will be big or this or that. So, yeah, there, there are things. I don't know if it's like that people are more scared of them. Um, you know, certainly uh, we can also trace like with the history of film, uh, when atomic bombs were created, we started getting movies like Godzilla and uh, other like uh, radiation mutation kinds of things. So sometimes, you know, filmmakers will play upon the kind of anxieties that society has in general, mm -hmm. drugs or radiation or, or, you know, maybe we'll see a slew of like, uh, like not on the nose, but pandemic influenced films mm -hmm. in the decade to come. COVID you know, zombies. That'd be, that'd be interesting. 
COVID zombies. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, people, if you love to be scared, you really love it. And people go out of their way to do it. So it's the time of the year. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. Appreciate your time. You're welcome. Have a happy Halloween. That's Jim Davies, professor of cognitive science at Carleton University. So, Andy, it begs mm-hmm. the question, do you like to be scared? Oh, do I, you like to be scared? And to what degree and what scares you? I like clever scare generally, but also, I guess I like every kind. Um, I like campy scare as well. There's a movie called 976 Evil that was directed by Robert Englund. phone Inglund. number? Yeah, yeah. The 976 Evil is the yeah, name of the phone I'm number. I'm going to call it right now. And it's um, uh, Robert England, who's Freddy Krueger. He directed yeah. it. Oh, okay. So he decided he knows enough about horror that he'll direct it. And it's so campy. It's about a line. It's one of these, like, sex telephone lines almost that's possessed. Oh. So you call it for companionship, and... but you're going to get possessed when you call. Oh. So super campy. But when he mentioned, like, real-life events... Now, I remember, and people of a certain age will remember this, I didn't realize it was a TV movie, but the movie The Day After, which is about nuclear war. And what it is about is a fictional war between NATO forces and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Soviet Union. And it's Farmville, USA. It was on TV. Um, so they focused on these small American towns. 100 million people watched it because that was at the height of the, the Cold War and right, are we right, all right. going to die and the Reaganomics and all the great stuff. Right, as the, the um, topic of the day, as he was saying. that scared the pants. I've never seen the whole movie because it scares me. Huh. But then otherwise, I like the psychological, um, you know, uh, scare. Not the jump scare. I don't need that. I don't like that at all. No, honestly, it makes, I'm not even kidding. I, I know it's weird, but it makes me cry. I don't like to be jump scared. It freaks me right but out. Don't you think the jump scare is the lowest common denominator? It is, but it's the scary of all <laughs> I hate it I don't know getting in it your makes mind. my heart to like it makes my heart pop there's a movie called White Noise with Michael Keaton and what I that is that. is haunting spirits that came yeah, through yeah, electronics yeah. took yeah. his wife and that is just a very scary not a lot of jump scare but that's a scary one with dark figures lurking like I don't mind a, a good mind messing I know that's not the term yeah, usually we use but a mind yes. messing but I, I you know I, I yeah no jump scares for this girl 